0: Welcome back, my friends, to The Sweet Spot, where IT leaders share their insights with other IT leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas. As and every week, I have here my two co-hosts, Paul Lewis and Harald Holton. Hey, guys. Hey, Carlos. How are you this week? Very good. And you? Hey, Excellent. Paul. Excellent. Hey there. Always good to see you. And my friends, this week, we have the pleasure to have with us... Guy Suref, he's a senior counsel and I don't want to mess up his title because he's a legal counsel. So I'm going to let him go because I wanted to keep everything. I want to learn a lot. So make sure that you take your notepads and you take notes. So Guy, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Thanks, Carlos. Uh, Nice to be here. Uh, I am senior counsel at Michael Best and Friedrich LLP uh, in beautiful Broomfield, Colorado. Uh, I am uh, a privacy and cybersecurity attorney, uh, primarily uh, focus on helping clients out with uh, all range of issues from governance issues to uh, policies to compliance and uh, all of the fun questions that come up around data, data uh, from a legal perspective and, and also from a practical perspective. Uh, I've got quite a bit of history uh, within uh, enterprises. Uh, at one point in my life, I was a uh, Data Protection Officer for CenturyLink uh, and uh, overviewing what we did from a European data perspective and that's just expanded now. Um, Happy to be here and as I must do anytime I do one of these, uh, anything that I say is not legal advice. If you do have any questions, please consult your
2: attorney. Thanks, Carlos. Was- I just consult Howard. Let's see. He gives me all the legal ah. advice I require. <laughs> <And he's-
1: laughs> I think quite- the answer to every question is always just
2: ask Howard.
3: That's right. <laughs> which is why Paul is currently filming from the Canada Federal Detention Facility. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> it hasn't been successful, but it's been advice. <laughs> right. I'm happy to give advice. I don't necessarily give good advice. All right. <laughs> So um, so on that note, you're, you're kind of a new guest, right? Um, most of, of our guests have been um, uh, C-level leaders inside a company, either CEOs or, or CIOs, CTOs, that sort of thing. Um, but I thought with kind of COVID and some of the decisions that we're making as organizations and as, and as, as uh, IT leaders, it was worth bringing someone with your expertise in just to kind of chat about what you're seeing. Right. Not to give legal advice, obviously, but rather just kind of comment on some of the practices that you're seeing, maybe some of the changes in the market, in the environment, um, and just kind of take a minute to give some best practices. And those can be either, um, you know, anything from, hey, be aware that this is coming to, hey, I've seen a lot of this decision made to enable work from home, and this is the cleanup that I would recommend right or this is the risk in these type of decisions that that we've seen and maybe don't do that
1: yeah uh there's a there's there, there's there's a, a lot of don't do thats that that have popped up uh, you know starting from the very beginning of all of this right the pandemic drove so much work to be done remotely um and so we did see a lot of clients and a lot of uh, just industry practices of How do we rationalize around and and how do we operationalize a workforce that's largely been within four walls that we contain using uh, hardware that that we control? And I I think the big issues that are popping up and are going to continue to pop up is how consistent was the deployment of the work from home strategy? Um, how, How consistently were your employees using whatever environment you created? Um, Because the issue that I see is going to arise as we return to work is how much work product was generated on a PC that wasn't connected to a VPN or a VDI? How many file shares were used? Uh, Were were employees utilizing Dropbox? Were they utilizing uh, Google Cloud? How much of this do you know? And so the resulting issue is how much proliferation of data are we going to see? And I think that's one of the big things to try to get a grip on now is getting control of any of that data that may have leaked outside. It does create some, some compliance issues. Uh, and some issues that, that kind of are starting to pop up and will continue to pop up is the privacy issues, right? We've got California, they've got a new, they, they've got the new privacy law uh tomorrow uh july 1st is the uh enforcement date um there is some potential that there was some processing that was going on that is not in not in bad faith it's still consistent with the business practices but it looking at what is being done to the extent that they have a part in the overall privacy compliance and governance structure it needs to get an understanding of what was done with that data did that data show up in some places that either we need to rectify now or we need to account for in our privacy policies in our in our overall governance documents to ensure that we have captured that processing activity
3: so one of the things that i see being being kind of missed um somewhat you know because it's it's all hands on deck focused on keeping the business working right Um, is a a lot of the compliance requirements are you must, companies must have a policy for insert policy purpose and must audit to said policy, right? They don't necessarily specify what has to be contained in the policy or how you have to do it. Um, But basically I have to have a policy for privacy. I have to have a policy for clean desk. I have to have a policy for um, PII handling. And then I have to audit against that. Um, would you say it's a relatively high recommendation that, that now would be a really good time to review those policies and update them to, uh, to reflect yes. what's going on right now? Very simple answer. Yes.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a fantastic time to be focusing on policies. This is, this is a really good time to be looking at what are you doing as a business, right? We've, we've broken the model. Uh, we're not just relying on in-office computer systems. So we do know that, that some of our policies are now going to be out of date or need to be updated, not just to address what's gone on in the pandemic, but there's, there's further issues that start to arise with this, right? How many companies have we seen out on the West Coast and, 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 and moving eastward that we're probably going to go to a largely remote workforce uh, in several sectors? So how well are your policies adjusted for that? I mean, that's, Yes, it, it came out of the pandemic, but there are certain areas, businesses and industries that have realized we can do this from home. we can save money on rent, we can save money on utilities. but the policies the the clean desk policy that doesn't really address what does your desk at home look like uh, mine is uh, is a mess as usual, um, but that's mostly because of a three year old uh, but but with that in mind how many people visitors come in and out of your house we don't have you know the controlled environment that we do for others so does your clean desk policy address what is your desk need to look like at home question is how do you audit against that um and there's going to be some creativity and there's there's going to be some things that we need to do um i know i've seen a lot of uh, a lot of recommendations out there stop printing things I think it's a good recommendation not just from a from a security standpoint it's just it, one it's a cost savings it's an environmental issue but it does it, it starts to reduce and it, it makes issues like this naturally get resolved um because you don't have to worry about the clean desk policy um but one of the things that one of the policies that really should be focused on right now um if you don't already have one because you prohibit them uh or you have a weak one, BYOD policies have got to be fixed. I mean, that's essentially what we're doing now, right? We are doing full-scale BYOD Uh, unless unless you're a company that you provide every piece of hardware. And and I'm talking not just the laptops and the, the cell phones. Are you providing the routers? Are you providing the entire network structure in somebody's house? I'm going to go ahead and guess no. Uh, so that's something that needs to be considered within the BYOT. If you are working from home, what does your BYOD policy say about router maintenance uh, and or about the, the, the level of, of security and antivirus that you have to have on every machine that touches that network? Because uh, I, I do not live alone. Uh, I, I, I live with my wife and my daughter. They access the network they're on. So those are things that we've got to consider as well, not just from a policy standpoint, but just from a practical, how do we make sure everything stays secure and is something that we can audit against?
2: Well, doesn't, um, doesn't policy and education go hand in hand? Like we've gone from yeah. tens of people working at home to tens of thousands of people in the same organization. And there's been the information workers, but now we have the task workers, right? The contact center people and even the essential workers, right? Even like academics. You know, 70-year-old professors at university are now working at home. That's so, yeah, and, and I guess arguably the shift has dramatically moved from the office control to this federated environment where it's, you know, it's the Wild West out there. Anybody could have anything. And you're not duplicating the office. You're not duplicating the technology. At the very least, they might have laptops and VPNs or, or VDI, but that's kind of the least, right? That's,
0: that's Therefore,
2: education now needs to be at the forefront. A whole bunch of people who've never worked at home, never touched uh, technology before, never handled data before at home, now has to. Well then, what do we do with that? Yeah,
1: I mean, absolutely, and this kind of is, this is just a, you know, I know it's a newsflash to everybody, pre-pandemic, policies without education are completely meaningless. Um, and if we're not also, while we're doing these policy updates, updating our, our training on, just best, best practices, even just reasonable practices. Um, if we're not doing that, then we're failing ourselves, um, right? Because we can have the best policy in the world, but if nobody's been trained on it. I mean, I, I know Howard's a voracious reader. I read because I have to, and I get paid to do it.
2: Uh, I'm pretty sure but, he's reading right now in parallel to this.
1: <laughs> I, exactly, there's, there, there's, there, there's five documents on the side that I'm reading. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no it's uh, not everybody does that, and not everybody has the same the same ability to read a very very technical, very boring document. let's be honest, policies are not fun uh it's uh it's no prayer for Owen me um it is it, it is instead it, dry documents that give basic instructions right it's we need to have education and you're not going to be able to customize an education for everyone that it that it hits, but the same education that you do every year on your infosec, why don't you also have, and you should also have, training for now that we know we're going to be working from home a lot more. Here's how we, here's how you should work when you work at home. Um, I don't, I don't really want to go to to the degree of, and everybody in your house needs to watch this training. But I think a component of the education is is at least something of, if you are not in your house by yourself um, or wherever you happen to be working, these are the things that you should ask of those around you. Um, And this, you know, we've addressed this problem before, right, with the coffee shop problem. How much work should you be doing in a coffee shop? How much work should you be doing on an airplane? Well, it depends. What kind of work are you doing? And if it's, if it's just something on the screen, maybe you, can, maybe you can do something to avoid that. But so much now is done. We, we, we've got Zoom calls. We've got conference calls. Things can be overheard. How do we address this? What do we, what do, we do to prevent any sort of leakage uh, that are otherwise addressed in a policy but don't have, uh, don't have that education component already? Um, and I, I think the pandemic is a is a perfect you know learning lesson for that, right? That there are things that we we thought we had addressed in our in our BCPs, right? We 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 know that you know if if this site goes down, we're switching everything over here. In large part, BCPs didn't address this type of issue, um, and so that's where yes, it is keeping the business running, but a big component, Paul, to your point is. Education is the only way that we make that happen, uh, and that also helps. You know, going back to Howard with the issue you raised, that goes back to auditing, right? This is we can audit how much training someone was given. We can, you know, that can be done, and so it at least gives us some sort of trail that we
2: can work with. So, so hard, what do you think the trend is going to be? Do you think the trend from a CIO would be providing the entire office, rock stack,
3: and I think the trend has to be that. Like, um, uh, what, I, what I actually think should happen, so, so every BYOD policy that I've seen is we don't provide the network. Right. End statement, right? Um, use reasonable security on your network, end statement. It doesn't define those things, nor would a definition actually matter because people who understand what that means are already doing it, right? Um, people who don't understand what that means, it wouldn't matter if you clearly defined it. Cause they don't know what it means, right? Um, and so I think the next step actually is um, we're now adding the network, but, but it's a separate network. As in, you get a $15 WAP, which is what they sell for. I carry one when I travel to hotels, right? And if the hotel provides an Ethernet jack, I plug my WAP into their Ethernet jack so that I control the network at that point. Um, and you can do exactly the same thing at home. Hey, here, it's a, it's a WAP, it's pre-configured, you plug it in, right? It's Wi-Fi 5, Wi-Fi 6, whatever whatever current, you know, technology they want to support. It's $15 to $25 cost to the business in, in low quantities, much less, I don't know what it would be in high quantities because I, I don't look at that. Um, and this is the only network that you are allowed to be connected to. You know, I think something like that is a good start. Um, it, it avoids the, we own the whole network. It avoids the, we can't audit the home, the home network. Right. But it still provides, you know, you can have an automated VPN tunneling connect configured on it already. So you don't have to worry about the endpoints VPN being up or down and breaking. Um, it allows you to do a lot better reporting because the device is always on. So the VPN tunnel is always connected and you can see, you know, do we have a problem with that? It gives you some sort of network QoS that you can track. Like, I think there's a lot of value to something like that. But I would also like to comment that I think I think a, a good first step is to take a look at your policies and not only update them, but also go these, while these were probably written by legal and probably written kind of for legal, they really shouldn't have been. They should have been written by someone who speaks English, approved by someone who, who speaks legal for someone who speaks English, right? Because I'm not wrong, but to your point, I mean, you're not wrong, right? But to your point, these are dry documents. These are long documents and they're dry documents, but they're not actually designed to be. They're designed to be policies followed by your employees and thus should be written in a way that your employees can read and maybe can kind of get to the nuts and bolts of relatively quickly to know what they're actually supposed to do. You
1: yeah, know? and from a, two things I want to hit there. From a legal point, I think the WAP is perfect right it, from a from a legal perspective it makes me a lot more comfortable because i'm i i'm not concerned about now the company being able to capture everything that i do on my network right and that's where you know where if you are trying to take it from you know from the from the outside in network approach there's too much bleed over and frankly uh, as a company, you don't want that level of information. It's just, yes, information is gold, but s- not, some of it is, is pirate, right? That, that kind of stuff you really don't want in your system. It just, it leads to too many issues. As for the policies, I will say the clients that I like to work with the best are where I'm not drafting the policy by myself or in a silo or anything else like that, where it's really a collaborative work with IT. And frankly, if it comes to me from IT or InfoSec or Ops, and it just needs to be translated into the proper, well, we've got to say it this way, it's, it turns out better and the end, the, 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 the end product and the results are better, right? Because now we, it's not written in legalese, and I don't take offense to the the fact that lawyers don't speak English. Not really. Uh, you know, we 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 have a way of of, of thinking and writing and, and talking, and and I, I and I appreciate that it doesn't always come through. And so, while yeah, it's it's a little bit said in jest, it really is important now, right? That that even more people are going to be needing to read these policies, be exposed to the policies, be exposed to the training associated with it. Now more than ever, we've got to make sure that these things can be understood by every level of the business and not just one department or another.
3: And, and you, you absolutely have your own language. I have Black's Law Dictionary sitting on my bookshelf. Any, any group of professionals that has their own dictionary speaks a different language. Like you, you can't even Fair. deny it.
2: No. People, are, people are far more aware of the agreements they click on now, right? They yeah. might not read all the T's and C's, but they're far more aware that they're agreeing to things and they may not understand the things that they agree to. There's a risk there, a, potentially even a reputational risk if you, if you just let people slide. Well, so, yeah, I mean,
1: go ahead, Art.
3: So you brought up you brought up an interesting thing that I, I don't want to lose the train on because... Um, and that, when you were talking about clean desk policy and what does your office look like and and what do the conversations look like? I, I haven't seen a lot of, um, I, I don't know, conference call policy, but it's almost time for a video chat policy. Like it was one thing when we were all in the office and we met in the office and we could kind of talk like, like there were things we, we, we wouldn't write on the whiteboard as an example, right? Um, there were some... Terrible, terrible changes that came down post HIPAA that that made a lot of the fun. We had not so much fun anymore when I worked in healthcare. But um, but it, but like within the context, within the confines of our own building, of our own space, we can have a very different conversation than we can have when one or more people are on a conference call on a speakerphone. Yeah. Right. And, and I would say there's a big difference between I have a headset and I'm at a coffee shop versus I'm on a speakerphone in a car by myself, I'm on a speakerphone in my house by myself, and I'm on a speakerphone when there's ever anyone else present for any reason, right? Even if it's a three-year-old child playing, playing, uh, you know, switch in the other corner of your office. Um, and I, and I, I really don't know that I've ever seen a Zoom policy, a conference policy. Um, and, and especially with a full w, you know, work from home environment, I keep trying to use that 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 acronym, and it just doesn't fit for me. WfH, like, <laughs> uh. but but with a full work from home environment, I almost think that's a policy that we really should have and put some serious thought into. Like, you know, if 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 privacy, personally identifiable information cannot be shared, we probably should remove those things from conference calls.
2: Especially the distinct difference between like a public Zoom and a private Teams, right the, they feel look and feel the exact same, but they are very different technologies with a very different openness standard to them
3: but but i can 't present even as even at teams right i can 't present at teams and know that that the person's spouse on the call sitting in their home office doesn 't actually have someone that they live with that work doesn 't work for a competitor sure. and that's just competitive language, but what if it's I work for a healthcare provider and we're discussing something that might trail into PII, right? What if we're discussing um, a defect we've found within our modality system that might apply to patients? What if we're discussing things that can, that by their very nature, contain risk? These are discussions that probably need to happen, but I would say we also need to develop a policy and ensure that, that everybody's aware of these are things that can no longer happen on general chat.
1: Yeah, and well, and telemedicine is a perfect example, right, of this. Um, And that you know, where where what what is you know, what policies, what procedures do we have in place where you've got a consultation between a physician and their patient? What policies does whoever the physician is working with, uh, working for, whether it's a hospital, a private practice, or, or or the like, have they addressed this? Um so yeah I think the I, and and I don't see this going away right we 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 are creatures that 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 get latch on to new things to do things in an easier and, and more efficient way really quickly um and I don't see the, the 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 video conference going away anytime soon right we're we're either because we are reducing our footprint within offices or we are uh're we're, we're not traveling as much anymore, either for safety or for cost. All of these things, this is going to be the way that we do things right and and the video conferencing, that one I think, is not just a work from home issue. that becomes a, a an issue when we do return to work, right because we're going to be doing these more often um and employees and the rest of the, the workforce is going to want to do these things. This is an easier way to get things done. Well, what do we do? Our policies permit the use of cameras within the facility. And if they do, is there are there limitations where those cameras can be deployed? That's gonna be the case in a lot of facilities. So again, back to policies. Policies are gonna to need to be adjusted. And this is gonna be one that I, I think the conference calling it's going to have to harmonize with a lot of pieces to this. Um, But there's going to be a lot of good groundwork already done, right? Whiteboard policies. What can be written on the whiteboard? What needs to be erased? You know what? I don't care who it is. I don't care what it is. You can never write this on a whiteboard. Those kind of things can can be ported. So it's I don't I don't think it's necessarily going to be creating anything from complete scratch. I think it's going to be building, and that'll that'll help too, right? Because that helps with buy-in. That helps with with keeping within your company voice, unless you know, to Howard's point, it's written in legalese and it needs to be translated. Uh, it, when you do that, we're we're still building off of off of pre-pandemic uh, groundwork, because one of the things that I am concerned about is that there is a rush to we've got to address everything pandemic perspective and then we're left you know in a couple months hopefully when all this is you know a little bit better under control now we've got you know the the world is on fire policies we don't need those we don't we don't that that that's not going to be uh it's not going to be useful and it's going to create those compliance issues that we we started the, the the conversation with right if we're now we've we've painted ourselves into this corner do so we really need to have the, the, the strict, uh, you know, strict policies that we, that we put in place for a pandemic? So I think balancing those, building off the legwork, understanding the new world, and then just thinking creatively with, uh, with how we need to address how employees consume technology and produce, uh, produce data and information.
3: So, so that, that brings up a, a legal concept that I love, um, so much so that I talk about it when I do my um, legal introduction to IT, right? Like I have a whole talk that's translating between legal and IT. Um, and it's this concept of the concept of reasonability, right? What is what is reasonable for someone in a similar situation to do, think, say, or, or act upon? Um, and I think a lot of companies miss that, especially when creating policies. Um, and I'm going to use GDPR as an example, right? So the right to be forgotten, uh, I think... I would say most of our of our listeners have heard of the right to be forgotten but but just in case it provides an EU resident the right to request that they be forgotten from a from a company's uh, systems um, and that that response has to be processed and answered within a certain time frame um, and it has to be uh, answered with some detail as well as a matching summary that goes along with it but it also never dies, right? Um, but companies are constantly saying, well, I don't know how to do that because it gives us, you know, we'll say three months. It gives us three months to respond. Um, and I don't know how to, how to get everything off of our backup tapes in that time. To which I respond, are you aware of reasonability? <laughs> and I think when it comes to policy, I think the same thing really needs to be taken into consideration. Um, because if you don't take reasonability into consideration, you do paint yourself into a corner, right?
1: yeah if you don't take reasonability into it, I mean, what we're gonna wind up with is everybody's gonna have to and i I'm just gonna pause, put a big disclaimer. I'm not advocating for this at all. This is not a recommendation, not guidance at all. We're gonna wind up with everybody sitting in an isolated bunker to do work and and that's if we're not reasonable about our approach, right? We're not saying you have to kick your entire family out of the house when it's time to work um right that just that that goes to, 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 to ridiculous extremes. Um, so, but what is reasonable? Right. And that's, I think that's going to be tricky. Um, and that's, that it's a great concept. It's a loaded concept too, because it's going to depend on nature of your industry. What is, what's a standard best practice? I mean, what is, what's the, what's everybody else doing? I mean, that to bring GDPR up, I mean, that was, it was how a lot of companies, have and continue to comply with GDPR is follow the herd, right? The, you know, see what everybody else is doing and follow along. The problem is, is that at some point somebody has to step out and be the trailblazer. Um, and so if that is you, if you are the trailblazer, for the sake of all the rest of us, be reasonable with what you want to do. I mean, it's uh, make it so that because the, the, the flip side to that is if you're so unreasonable, you make compliance impossible. Well, if you're making compliance impossible, that ultimately means you're making work impossible. And at the end of the day, that's the important thing, right? That the, the wheels keep turning, the business keeps going. Uh, and so as we, as we emerge, hopefully post-pandemic, uh, though I saw that there is another potential pandemic uh, on the rise uh, in uh, uh, swines again, um, this is a good time to be taking that look at right what do we really need to do to actually be defending and for that i i I, if there happen to be any attorneys on the phone anybody from legal departments i i beg of you work with the it teams work with the infosec teams learn what the learn what the, the the absolute boundaries are what is possible and then work inside that boundary. It helps. It it, it helps a lot because one, it, it's been my experience. I can only speak for myself, but it it develops a level of trust and understanding between both, um, so that instead of legal getting the call at eleven thirty at night saying we have a problem, you knew about the things that could give rise to the problem a day before, and you don't have to get out of bed. Uh, you know that. you're not getting that call um and on the it side i mean i'll let let howard and and paul talk to this but i my impression has always been that when legal comes and says we're here to work with you learn what your boundaries are learn what the limitations of our technology are that there 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 tends to be a bit more forthcoming um it's not the neither side is saying we have to do it this way this has got to be a collaborative approach and if pandemic has taught us anything it's taught us that collaborating across teams across offices across geographic areas is possible and it actually works well
2: and, and there's a long tail to it but uh, i'm glad you brought up gdpr because there's a so there's a current pushback from u.s government to sort of the eu about the implementations and implications of gdpr with the um with cyber criminals in 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 yeah. the covid sense do you, have, do you have any thoughts on that like what's what's the pushback what's the concern? Are, are we really protecting criminal activity with this regulatory body
1: i, I I'm not digging too deep into that one just yet um, and and for a wide host of reasons well don't um, give an
2: opinion just give me an appreciation for for what, yeah. what the concern is I,
1: I think there is you know right there is some level of concern about uh, how much of, of cyber criminal you know how how much protection there is for that but at the same time there is since the beginning of GDPR this is this is the continuing tug of war right which which country really which region really gets to dictate you know what information is coming across because what may be and i think a level of concern is you know what may be considered to be a cyber criminal it's really not right is this is this more information gathering for another purpose? Um, and, and so we'll see. There, there continues to be some movement in Europe uh, and, and some interesting things coming out with GDPR. Uh, one of them, it was uh, a year, 18 months ago or so, um, where how do you bring up the right to be forgotten? There was a clarification on that, that it's a, it's a right to be forgotten in the EU. Um, and so extraterritoriality uh, and being able to enforce laws that are primarily within one country outside of that country or that that economic region, it's going to be a continuing question, right? And, and you know there too. I mean, just my own my own thoughts and impressions. Everybody wants to be the one that catches the bad guy, right? Because when you're the one that catches the bad guy you get a lot more control and gets a lot, get to dictate a lot more things of what happens um, and, and what do we do next.
3: Well, and I, and I think the, the concern um, that, that Paul's asking about um, based on what I've seen is a little bit not understanding how GDPR is executed, right? Um, because I think some of the concern is um, that someone can submit a right to be forgotten based on an IP address Um, because they've tried to be nefarious or have been successfully nefarious and then they think they can go back and submit a right to be forgotten for this IP address. And, And while I think technically that's possible, part of right to be forgotten is I actually have to look for all of that information. I have to dig in and find that information to be able to forget it. And and the reality of the situation is, while people who don't understand technology can very easily say that's now a thing that can be done, the reality of the situation is, criminals don't often come, by, come, come back to a house, knock on the door, and go, hey, so I was here the other night, and um, I think I left some yeah. fingerprints, but I'm gonna execute my right to be forgotten and erase those fingerprints. Do you mind if I come in and poke around for a bit? Like, yeah. the act of submitting the request raises the red flag, Right. And you kind of go, this isn't a customer, this isn't someone that we've actively marketed to. Like we now see them in places that that we shouldn't see that information. We kind of have raised a red flag. So I don't know that it's that the reality is it enables what our Congress people and government seem to think it does. But isn't the yeah. other side too
2: where where one could be protected by the shield of GDPR? So so that, uh, you know, that my private information, my transactions that have uh, that have occurred in EU can't actually be exposed to, uh, you know, the powers that be in the United States. And therefore, you know, we're potentially covering up criminal activity because I have to use public sources like who is to find out if this person is somebody I care about.
3: I don't think so like, Guy, you're welcome to correct me, but it seems like a, an international warrant is an, is an international warrant, and if it's really worth putting that much effort forth, like, you're going to get Interpol involved, you're going to get, you're going to get criminal investigation organizations involved, but I don't see GDPR being an effective shield to those things.
1: Yeah, well, and and even just at its base level, uh, I don't, I, I, I tend to agree with you there um, though. I mean, there's, you, you never know the way the, the courts are going to go. And I, I'm not aware of any, any of these issues coming up, but uh, you know, cause come to, 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 you can submit the, the, the request, right. But just submitting the request, it's not unequivocal, right. I, it, let's, let's do a non, non-criminal example. I sign, a, I, I, I sign a commitment with you uh, for a one year subscription to uh, your, your, your music service. And my agreement with you says uh, it cannot be canceled. There are no refunds. And I decide, you know what? I, I've got my fill a month in. I don't want this anymore. I want you to delete all of my information. Haha, ha, I don't have to keep paying for the subscription that I paid for. No. I, they, I, I, we have exceptions within GDPR that says you know uh, you you can keep the information you can you can refuse it if you need it to perform a contract there's some other lawful basis and some of those lawful bases do extend to compliance with laws uh, defending yourself um, Now there are there become restrictions on what you can do with that data um, but it's not an unequivocal right that you can just say, delete my stuff and, and there's no pushback, right? That, 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 it, that would be, uh, you know, the enterprising thing there. It's not necessarily I've engaged in nefarious activity, but uh, within a system that I'm, I'm trying to, to cover up, it's, I reach out to, uh, uh, to Lexus and say, you know, Lexus has a, a gigantic uh, background check uh, database. Right. I reach out to them and say, delete everything about me, uh, you know, delete my entire criminal history. I'm not saying me. I'm saying the, the global me. Uh, you know, the. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that, that where the right to be forgotten. And we see the same thing in the the, the right to deletion in, in California with CCPA. Right. That it it gets misconstrued as These are not unequivocal rights that you just have to, you have to comply with. You have to delete everything. But what you do have to have is you have to have enough of an understanding of your data and enough understanding of what you are doing with that data to be able to make that determination. Do I need to delete this information? Or is there something, something in our environment that says I need to keep it,
2: but now I need to isolate it
1: just for this? Is it it's enough to be
2: to be so that you've What's already that? is it is it enough to be documented so you've already predetermined as an organization that here are the limitations of deletion limitations of right to be forgotten that it's already been a list of things on what I will will or will not do. Yeah,
1: you know, I, I think that's a huge part of privacy by design, um, which is uh, which is a big one for for GDPR. Um, it's a big requirement. If the Washington uh, privacy law, Washington state, if uh, if that privacy law goes forward uh, in its in the form that that it looks like it's going to go, that that same concept will be there. I think that's a component of privacy by design, right? I I I have worked with with a client in the past that uh, this very topic came up. They they wanted to just have a quick list of. These are the things that, you know, I I want to pre-populate my response when somebody sends in a deletion request. And I want to be able to say, we deleted this information because we don't need this information. We kept this information for these reasons. Uh, And then it was, if they got a request, I mean, it was form fills, right? They got a request, you see, we've got data about this person in these eight databases. Great, I know exactly what my response is it cuts down processing time immensely. Now, the issue is, do you have in place what you need to be able to do that? This particular, this particular client, it wasn't that, it wasn't that complicated, um, right? It was, it was not a, it wasn't a, a complex system, large interrelated. I mean, we're talking maybe 20 or 30 systems total. If you are talking about 1,500 to 2,000 systems, Seen those two, that starts to get tougher. Um, but that also suggests, and, and Howard and I have talked about this multiple times, that's why data governance is so key for this privacy compliance, for the cybersecurity client compliance, because yeah, you could easily trim down your response time to deletion requests and have a much better idea of what it is you need to do if you do all this ahead of time. Um, but it's, it's easy to say that it gets a lot more complex when you try to operationalize it.
3: So it's, it's kind of funny, Paul, but it's effectively, we're right back to the EIM conversation. Enterprise information management is really, really, really hard and really, really, really important. And it's not getting less important, right? And so companies that have moved EIM to the back burner. Are the ones that are that are going to be in the most most trouble with this because while it's easy to say we have a um, we have a contractual obligation to maintain this data, that really only works when I know where all the data is right it 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 falls apart really quickly when I haven't executed on EIM, I don't have a complete data catalog, I don't have policies in place. Um, then it's like, well, these three locations I'm really well aware of and know what to do with. These 867,000 locations, I'm at a complete loss, right? Um, and, and, and I think that's where things like, and maybe we should have a future episode on it, where, where things like um, data ops really start to have a play, right? So as you start to do these things, you start to involve them in a DevOps style data management program that allows you to, to kind of fulfill the needs of EIM, um, automate a lot of the requirements of governance. Uh, and at the same time, kind of you know uh, uh, reduce that risk and litig- limit or mitigate that liability. It's my favorite thing to say about legal, uh, and I think the like the walkaway that I like to give too is um, the job of legal is is ultimately to mitigate risk, reduce risk, and mitigate liability, right? I mean, if, if we just distill it to one statement, we can get into nuance, and I understand having an attorney on the phone means nuance is where we live.
1: <laughs>
3: um, but, but if we just really kind of try to narrow it down to one thing, but if we look at IT in reality, that's kind of our job too. Sure, we use technology to enable the business, but the constant overlay, overlay to all of that is we do it in a way that reduces risk and mitigates liability, right? That's why we have cybersecurity. That's why we have policy. That's why we have all of these things. And I think when having a conversation with, between IT and legal, the best thing both parties can do is recognize that the other person's job is to do that, right? No one's job is to say no. And I think too often when IT interfaces with legal and legal interfaces with IT, the default both sides kind of come to the table with is no. The other party's going to say no. They don't understand my job. The other party is going to say no.
2: That both of us get paid by earning more revenue. Right. Right. We can't say no all we want, but guess what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Ultimately, we all report to the CEO whose job it is to increase the value of the company and earn more revenue. And so we're actually better off if we sit down and go, okay, you want to figure out how to comply with this legal requirement. I want to figure out how to enable the business. We both want to do it in a way that reduces risk and mitigates liability. How do we come together and find some common language and I think where the trouble actually exists is when legal when IT talks legal and legal talks IT like like legal instead of saying this is the legal requirement I want a system that accomplishes these goals legal says I want you to do it this way using technology you know what I mean these are the technology requirements versus these are the legal requirements I need a way to accomplish documenting these processes I need a way to accomplish this outcome is a world of difference. Then it can come back and go, Oh yeah, we can easily do that. These four ways, which of these four ways do you want to dig into? Which of, you know, how, how do you want to see these? Does this work? Does this fit policy? And then you have this real collaborative thing. But I think when we get out of our swim lanes, it starts to become dangerous.
2: So do we think that in the last three months, risk tolerance has turned down that we're, a little bit more okay, being a little bit more agile, and therefore we don't need thirty people making decisions. Every policy isn't a good policy, you know those kind of things. Is that did we turn it down a notch? Not all the way, but did we did we go closer to agility versus closer to control? I think it depends on
1: your industry, right? I I, I think it I I think in some um, I think risk tolerance went down. Right. Where you are where you are in an industry that you've got a lot of information workers, but the 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 information is not it's not so critical, it's not so sensitive that you know maybe everything that we were doing with those information workers, we can dial back. Right? We're not we're not making them sit in a particular room so that we can monitor everything that's going on.
0: But then in others
1: you know, think, think healthcare, think about how much we, we now have to account for as more and more work in the medical community is done outside of the hospital, outside of the doctor's office, where there are controls in place, and that need to be there. Um, So I would say, you know, if, if you've got an acronym law for your industry, I think you're, I think you 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 are a little less tolerant of risk now, right? If you're GLBA, you're HIPAA, you're FICRA, I think you got to worry a little bit more. If you're not, yeah, you, can, you probably were able to turn down. And that's where, you know, we talked, about the, we talked about the reasonableness. The reasonableness and the reasonable standard is not always what would everybody do. It's what would everybody like me do. Um, and so that's where I, I, I think we're, we, we, we don't have an answer one way or the other. Um, but at the end of the day, what I do think is that everybody should be updating policies to address this. This isn't going to be the last time we do this, um, either because of a pandemic or because we've just seen a culture shift. We've got to address for those compliance issues, got to address for the accountability, uh, and, you know, we're, we're look, all, we're all working together maybe even better now, um, so I think those are the, the the good things to do and the good things to take away.
0: Oh, it's been an awesome conversation, Guy, and Paul and Howard. So my friends, I don't think that there's anything else to add. It's been awesome to have you here with us today, Guy. And to each one of you that are listening or watching, make sure that you subscribe and share this video or audio podcast with your team and your family members. Because remember, we wanna continue to grow to be better leaders, And in this time, and in any time, learning from others is a great way to do it. So my friends, we'll see you on our next episode.